Well, I want to thank uh, Miss O'Day and, and Pastor Paul for the opportunity to come before you today. And there's no greater honor in life than to be able to deliver God's word to uh, his people. So thank you for that. Uh, my name is Mike Talaga, and I'm a uh, <clears throat> minister in the Reformed Church, sort of semi-retired at this point in time. Um, I live in, here in Frankfurt with my uh, wife, Noreen, and uh, I've known Pastor Paul uh, for several years uh, as he and I go back uh, ministering together as pastors at uh, Peace Community Church. So I know what a great uh, man of God he is and uh, how fortunate uh, by God's blessing that you have him as uh, your pastor who is really committed uh, to the Word of God and, and teaching. So like I say, I've known Paul for a long time, not, not as long as knowing him when he had hair, so I haven't known him that long, so. but uh, I've known him for quite a while, and uh, he and his uh, wife and family, a beautiful family, so, so again, today we're going to uh, speak today about uh, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to ask you to uh, join with me, if you would stand, I'll, I'll read a couple passages to begin with. <clears throat> First passage is from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then if you could turn to John, chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Give thanks for the reading of the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. One of the reasons I chose the topic of the Holy Spirit today is I think there's sometimes <clears throat> a lot of uh, confusion uh, about the work of, of the Spirit, and sometimes and oftentimes it's uh, just kind of ignored. But it's worth really pursuing and it's worth trying to understand um, who the Spirit of God is. And if you review the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see that the Spirit of God is very active. We see his presence uh, throughout the Old Testament, which goes against kind of a popular misconception that the Holy Spirit just started to take place at the day of Pentecost. But that's not really true. There's very much activity of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament as well. And our fathers, back in the early centuries, started to give shape and form as to understanding uh, how, how is it that God has revealed himself 
to us, and they began to sort out a description of how God exists and how he's revealed himself. And we understand it as Christians that God has revealed himself <clears throat> as one God, but in three persons. And we know that to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which we call the Trinity. And they are three persons, but they are, they are of one essence. It's one God, and they are co-equal as God. And sometimes we go a little bit too far. We start to compartmentalize uh, the three persons of God in such a fashion that we almost, almost like are creating three gods. We have God the Father over here. We have God the Son over here. And we have God the Holy Spirit over here. And we lose sight sometimes by that compartmentalization is that they are one God, co-equal, and of one essence. So we need to really think of the Trinity more closely together as one God. And even though they are distinct and have three persons as God revealed himself, we have to be careful to remember this is, this is one God manifested himself to us, revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. We see names in the Bible such as the Spirit of the Living God or the Spirit of Christ. But they are indeed, again, three persons, but better to understand them closely together as one God. The word Spirit, capital S Spirit, and whenever you see, obviously, the word Spirit, capital S in the Bible, that refers to the deity, that it is God. So the word spirit, capital S, is used over 150 times in the Old and the New Testament. And there's various verses describing the work of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. In fact, the, the Spirit of God is mentioned very early in the Bible, in the very first chapter of Genesis. In the second verse, we already see the Spirit of God being made known to us in the Old Testament. And you know this verse in Genesis, and verse 2 in the first book, first chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, capital S, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here we see, even in the beginning of creation, we see the Spirit of God at work. Here we see the Spirit of God actively participating in the creation of the world. We see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, which indicates the movement of the Spirit of God. And when we review Scripture as a whole, we could see many facets of the role and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. For example, in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit actively moving in the Old Testament. Numerous times in the Old Testament, we read, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. We see that in the life of David, in the life of Moses and Abraham. The Spirit is active in the Old Testament. It shows movement. It shows intention to act 
and it shows that he's carrying out the overall purposes of God by his spirit. We see the spirit leading. Remember that the spirit led Jesus into the desert. The spirit is leading. leading. The spirit has movement. The spirit causes birth. The Virgin Mary was conceived with a child by the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit can actually cause physical birth in that he led to the birth of our Lord Jesus and not by man. We see the Spirit of God giving birth to our spirit, creating a new life within us as we're born again, not a flesh, but we're born again by the Spirit of God. The Spirit gives testimony to the truth. The Spirit testifies that Jesus is truly the Son of God, the Anointed One of God, the Promised Messiah. That's the work of the Spirit to testify to that truth. The Spirit reveals and the Spirit convicts our hearts. It reveals that the gospel is true. And it reveals that we are sinners in need of repentance and reconciliation with God. The Spirit even intercedes for us with the Father. Even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit will intercede for us and reveal our deepest concerns that we have deep in our heart, even when we don't know what to pray. And the Spirit not only draws us to God, in the way that he does, but he also seals our redemption to God through Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. It will seal us as one in the life of Christ. You see, the Spirit of God is very active in the world, as well as personally in our own individual lives. He, he is active. And there's many aspects of the Holy Spirit that I could go into, but I want to I concentrate on three of them today. One, I want to spend a little time talking about the Spirit as a testifier of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I'm going to speak about the activity of the Spirit in the regeneration of our own spirit to life. And then finally, sanctification that takes place as a result of the work of the Spirit. But keep this in mind, that the central role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus Christ and unite you and me to him. That is the central focus of the Holy Spirit, to reveal Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to reveal Jesus Christ as truly the only Son of God, and to unite us to Christ in our redemption with God. In 1 John, we read this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit, capital S, is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Here we see again, the Apostle John himself 
in writing these words are being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Again, the work of the Spirit of God enlightening him to write and pen these words. He's calling his readers to know that this one who came, Jesus Christ, came not just with a water baptism, but he came with the sprinkling of his own blood for you and for me. This is a testimony by the Holy Spirit given to us by God to achieve his purposes in redemption. And the Spirit is testifying to this truth. He testified it to the apostles. He testified it to the people in the Middle Ages. And he testifies the same truth to you and I in the 21st century. Why can we believe this? Because the Spirit is truth. And again, we see the oneness of God when we read the words of Jesus who proclaimed this. He said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you see the closeness of the Trinity even here at work. The Spirit, which is the truth, testifying that Jesus is the Christ who shed his blood. And we see the Spirit of a God revealing this gospel to you and to me that draws people to Christ to believe in him, who is the only way to be reconciled to God the Father. So here we see the triune God working in the redemption of his people. And even Jesus says, I am the truth, and the Spirit says, I am the truth. Why? Because they're one, they're one God. But, but what must happen for a person to really, truly proclaim that Jesus is the Christ? For not everyone does, and certainly many, many don't. But it's the Spirit who gives life to the dead by regenerating our own souls and our own spirit to life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's crystal clear when you read scripture that all human beings are in need of new life, every single one of us. And the theological term for that is regeneration or bringing, making anew, bringing something that's dead to make it alive. We are born with a condition that is inherently sinful. The word is inherently because we inherited that condition from our parents who inherited it from their parents. We are inherently sinful. This is what we pass on to our children. We pass on a nature that is pro has a proclivity to sin. It's natural to be able to sin. It's as natural as a bird being able to fly, born and to fly. It's natural for a bird to do that. It's in their nature. And it's in our nature to sin. We are born in that particular nature that is opposed to God. And there's no one on the planet Earth who does not need to be redeemed from that nature. They need to be born spiritually, made alive again. And so then we begin to see the work of this triune God in the Holy Spirit hovering and moving like the wind. And let me read you a familiar verse that um, you are familiar with, I'm sure, reading from John chapter 3. 
Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? <laughs> I would love to see Jesus' expression on his face when he said that. Uh, no. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, that who is born with a sinful nature has a sinful nature. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus has an encounter with a Pharisee who is a very religious person that should know all about who God is because he's a teacher of the people. But apparently he doesn't. He doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus, in a kind way, chastises Nicodemus for not understanding the basic of how to enter life or, as the scripture says, how to enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't even know that, and yet he's the teacher of the people. But it's clear when you read that passage that one must be born of God by the Spirit of God in order to see the kingdom or to have life. Humans can give birth to flesh. That we can do. We can give birth to flesh. But the flesh that we pass on to one another is inherently sinful by its nature. But it's necessary to have a spiritual life created by the Spirit of God to have true life. You must be born a second time. Only the, the, only the flesh will result by our parents into another fleshly life. But it's the Spirit of God who brings us the truth about entering the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. You see, the Spirit moves wherever it wishes, all by the design and purposes of God. You hear this wind, you can hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. The Spirit of God gives spiritual life in Jesus Christ. One God, three persons. But what's, what's, involved, what's involved in a new spiritual life? Our eyes are opened, the blind can now see, and prior to that we can't see. We are blinded to the truth of the gospel. The Spirit, listen, the Spirit sets us free from the dominion of our sin. We are a slave in our own flesh to our sin. It's our master but the Spirit sets you free. 
takes you out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that God loves by the work of the Holy Spirit. We experience a, a, a liberation of our wills to do what's pleasing to God and we're moving away from spiritual bondage that we're captive to. We're moving from a slave status to freedom in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said <clears throat> to his disciples, he said, the truth will set you free because you're not free. And that's where the Jews argued like, well, you know, well, we don't need to be free. We're not slaves. Oh, yes, you are. You are slaves to your sin and only the truth will set you free. And we have a cleansing of the heart, a forgiveness of our sins. And we are grafted into Jesus Christ. Just as a branch is grafted into a vine, we are grafted into Jesus Christ. You see, the Spirit gives us a new heart. You and I were born with a, a heart of stone, but the Spirit of God gives you <clears throat> a heart of flesh. Let me read you another passage that was written about this, the work of the Spirit. You may be familiar with this one. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you <clears throat> a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's not New Testament. That's Old Testament. Can you see why Jesus said to Nicodemus, how come you don't know these things? How come you don't know that you must have a new heart? that you must be born again because without that you will never ever see the kingdom of God you will not have new life on your own you must be born again by the spirit of God and even that is told to us in the Old Testament the work of the spirit is active in the same fashion as it was before as it is today So even reading this passage, it was, it was made known by God that the Spirit of God who indwells the believer will cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my rules. See, that's the key, is that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's hard to fathom, it's hard to get your mind around, but we are indwelt by the Spirit of God for those who profess Christ Jesus. And that takes us to sanctification, which is a 25-cent word for to become holy, is to be sanctified, to be set apart. How is it possible for a sinful person, an enemy of God, how is it possible for that person to become holy? Well, through our own strength, ain't going to happen. It's impossible. There's no way a person without the movement of the Spirit of God can become holy. Trying to appease God, which many people do with their sinful nature, 
It's just not possible. But with the empowerment and dwelling of the Holy Spirit and movement of his life in our life, all things are possible with God. One person has received a new life in Christ and is indwelt by the whole spirit of the Holy Spirit of God. And with that, there's a call to a new life. The old is gone. The new has come. You were an old creation, enslavement to sin. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God. We are called to become holy. It's not optional. By the Spirit of God, he moves in us in a way that convicts us of wrongful acts and gives joy and peace when things are going right in accordance with the Spirit of God. We are to become like God as a believer in Christ. And, and God has given us the power through the Spirit of God who indwells us to walk worthy of the calling that God has placed on our life to become children of God. Let me read you this passage by Paul, the Apostle Paul. He says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, capital S, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We are to become holy. Why? Because your Father is holy. And if we're truly children of God, we are to become like our Father. And if you can understand that, you have <clears throat> unlocked the secret to life. You've unlocked the secret to life if you could understand that we are to become holy because God is holy. A life, listen, that God is pleased with. That God is pleased with. To walk in harmony with the Spirit of God who lives within you. And that's a process. It's not instantaneous. It's a process. God calls us to turn from our formal sinful desires and to turn to Christ, to produce the fruits of the Spirit, again, the Spirit that indwells you, which are love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those you can live those without any limitation. There's no limits that God places on you for being kind or being gentle. There's no limits as the laws limit sinful activity. There's no limits to the joy of the Spirit of Christ. And if you're not born again, God is calling you to put his trust in his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Father there's no other way to be redeemed. There's no other way out of the dominion of darkness into the son of the kingdom he loves except for your belief and trust in Jesus Christ. It's turning from your ways to God's ways, to giving your life to the Father who can give you true eternal life. You know, sometimes you look around us and you see there's many people who really are not religious. They don't really have any 
profess faith in Christ Jesus. They don't believe in him. They don't want anything to do with God. And yet, they seem to be doing quite well in this world without God in their lives. And sometimes we tend to envy their successes or maybe their fame or their, their wealth and all the things that maybe we don't have. You know, we're not, <clears throat> we're not popular uh, rock stars or movie stars or famous politicians or TV personalities, and yet they seem to have all the adoration in the world. Whereas we could say sometimes, maybe in my life, <clears throat> there's few people that even care about me, let alone have any adoration from anybody. And our emotions start to get the best of us sometimes, <clears throat> and we feel insignificant in this world when we start to compare ourselves to others who have achieved fame and fortune. We feel insignificant as to who we are. We don't have big houses. We don't have big expensive cars, big jobs, <clears throat> large estates. We just don't seem to have what the, what the people who ignore God seem to have. You know, I read an article in the paper the other day. <coughs> it was comparing the wealth of uh, Bill Gates, who, as you know, is the head of Microsoft, to uh, Jeff Bezos. I'm not sure that's how you pronounce his name. Bezos or Bezos. He's the uh, uh, CEO of Amazon. And I would imagine most people in this room probably use their products. They were comparing their wealth on one given day. And Bill Gates was slightly ahead of uh, Bezos. Bill Gates had a wealth of $75.4 billion. Not million, billion. Jeff Bezos has $74.1 billion. So on that given hour of the stock market, he was ahead of him, $0.3 billion. You know how much $75 billion is? <laughs> you could spend, without investing the money, you could spend $200,000 a day for 100 years. And at the end of all that spending, you'd still have $200 million left over. Rich, rich beyond imagination, rich beyond imagination. But what do I have? Well, <clears throat> if you forget everything I've said in the sermon, that's okay, but I want you to <clears throat> remember one thing. As a believer in Christ and as a born-again Christian, you have, <clears throat> you have the God of the universe living in you. This is the God who created billions and billions of galaxies that have billions and billions of stars. This is the same God who knows every thought and every word on every person on the planet throughout all of history. This same God lives in you. He indwells you, <clears throat> which is an unbelievable miracle in itself that God <clears throat> indwells his people. 
this is he who is living in you, who not only lives in you, but has sealed your redemption by the power of his Holy Spirit and who cares deeply about you and who you are. The world may not know you and me, but that's okay. God does. He knows us intimately, and he cares for you and me in a profound way. You and I might not have $75 billion to live on, but we have Christ Jesus as our Savior and our Lord by the work of the Holy Spirit. We are rich beyond imagination. So let me close with this scripture that Jesus said. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and my sake in the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Let's pray again. Father, it's um, certainly hard, hard to understand that you've imparted your life even to us through a profession of faith. It's hard to understand that you exist as a trinity, but you've given us enough knowledge about yourself to know that we can love you and glorify you and cherish you. I thank you for the redemption that you give to us by the power of the gospel through the power of the Spirit of God who makes Christ known to us. And what a, what a joy it is to know that you have redeemed us and sealed us even all until eternity to be with you. For no one comes to you through Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that revealed that to our hearts. I pray for each person here that that may be their profession of faith by the power of your spirit, that they know Christ Jesus. So we give you thanks for all that you give us, and we, even though we don't have the world's riches, we have the world's riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the power of living in us, and help us, dear God, to live out that power that lives within us to please you in all that we do and all that we say. For in all these things, we ask you and give thanks to you in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.